everybody, Chad Madden here, and today I have a very special guest. Super excited for you guys to hear this practice owner story. Uh, but our guest today is Deepak Sharma. Uh, Deepak is a doctor of physiotherapy. He is in Edmonton, Alberta, uh, Canada. He's a private practice owner. Uh, probably one of the fastest ascensions that I've ever seen in terms of a, a practice owner filling up. It's in a very unique situation in terms of a, an economic environment, um, which we'll get into here in a little bit. But welcome to the call here, Dr. Deepak Sharma. Hey, thanks, Chad. Um, just a little correction there. Um, so in Canada, you are not allowed to use doctor unless you are a PhD. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you, you, you do have a DPT, but it's, uh, you're not allowed to. I have a master's in orthopedic physical therapy. Yes, okay. but uh, I'm not allowed to use doctor. Sorry, sorry. No, no, um, no. Bad research on my part. Um, so, um, okay. So you're a physiotherapist. You have a private practice. Um, can you tell us a little bit about uh, when you opened up, how you ended up in a little bit of your background and how you ended up in Edmonton? Yeah, so it's a, it's a long story. I'll try and like summarize it up quick. But uh, yeah, so I, I opened up in my, my practice um, back in 2018 um, with a lot of hurdles and all of that. Um, we were supposed to open in like, you know, um, February uh, of, um, left of 2018, um, but end up having like a break in when everything was ready and we were like, you know, literally ready to open in, in a week or so. We had a bad break in. The, that costed us like around um, $65,000 um, in repairs and everything uh, and pushed our, uh, and you know, dealing with all the insurance companies and stuff like that, the, like, you know, pushed uh, the opening of the clinic instead of February till July. So July uh, 22nd, um, 2018 is when we opened the practice. Um, so after all the insurance hurdles and like, you know, during that phase, uh, you know, when you're coming out of a, uh, you know, a, um, a, a job like as an employee you're working uh, somewhere else for long for many years you don't necessarily have like a lot of savings so whatever savings you have so during that period or uh, to get the things fixed and repair again and all so we end up using all our you know, savings and also because nobody have like i don't know at least i don't have at yeah. least um, sixty five thousand dollars link just like that so uh, end up using all the line of credits and, and all of that. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, yeah I, I was very broke when we uh, opened up in, in private practice. Uh, and just to clarify, you had a break-in. So somebody broke into your That's about right. to open space. They ruined. Um, ruined the place. So the idea was, I feel that uh, we, had, uh, we have a, a next door pharmacy. Uh, on the right-hand side, we have a pharmacy and a medical clinic. And on the left-hand side, we have an optometric practice. So apparently they were trying to sling some drugs and all of that. And like, you know, uh, pharmacies are the hotspots for burglaries. Um, and they, so they basically kind of came in from the back door somehow, damaged all the side walls towards the pharmacy to kind of get into there and then damaged the wall towards the optometric side to steal some glasses and all. So it was really, really big damage. Um, so then like, you know, we had to ask all the, all our suppliers to hold on to the stuff and they charged us for um, you know like um, their storage fee and all of that like they have to keep the uh, products or uh, equipments in their own storage so they charged us for that so there's a lot of uh, financial uh, burden at that point um, yeah so but end up opening the clinic in, in July um, but uh, I joined a breakthrough um, BPTM at that point um, like killer marketing program 
almost an year before uh, I actually uh, opened my practice. And, and again, like the idea was to be like well prepared and to kind of have that uh, rocket start, uh, what I call it, like, you know, um, to, uh, so that like when I go into the practice and I think and I've heard it from you guys too, like on an average, a clinic um, takes uh, around 20 months to, to become profitable uh, or so uh, in, in, in North America. 36. 36 months. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, so we did that in um, three months time. So we were like, you know, we broke even in three months and then we were profitable right after. Yeah. Um, Let, yeah. Let's back up here a little bit. So um, you were, so you were a physio. You're originally from India. Yeah, that's right. You were in Edmonton. I think you uh, had a connection with a professor. That's right. So one of my uh, professors who taught me in, in school in my undergrad and then also in my, my master's, um, so he was from Australia, but he moved to India and then taught me there. So he later moved to Canada. And uh, so as a, uh, uh, you know, when I was in India, I was unmarried bachelor. So I like to travel a lot. So I traveled quite a bit to learn different courses and all of that. So, um, and I have some family, extended family in the U.S. So I uh, decided to just come there. Uh, kind of visit the family um, and like, you know, go and visit the professor who taught us. Um, so I was in constant contact with that professor. So I just made a small trip, came here, um, you know, went to see him in Edmonton, um, Alberta, Canada. And he was like, hey man, you're here. Why don't you just, you know, <laughs> uh, like apply for the credentialing and stuff and see if, if you get your credits and all. Uh, so I did that, uh, got all the credits for my education um uh, and appeared for my exam um, so this is i'm talking about back in um 20 uh, 12 november as i came here um they appeared for the exam um so when i landed in edmonton so literally uh, the, my exam was in three days <laughs> so like you know having um so it was like a lot of issues i couldn't pass my first exam just a little inside story, <laughs> but literally a month later, I appeared for the second attempt, and I just cleared all my exams. And so, and then I uh, right after I moved moved back to uh, India, and then uh, like uh, so, and I got a call from one of the employers in Edmonton that hey man, I saw that you passed the exam. Would you be interested in moving to Canada? Sure. And by the time I got married and all, um, moved to Edmonton uh, with my wife. Nice. So. And, uh, you, you were, and your wife is Mega? Mega, that's right. You have uh, one son. That's right. So uh, I'm going to mess up it. Vian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I was definitely going to mess up the pronunciation, <laughs> again, even though you helped me out uh, with before we started here. But um, so in 2016, 2017, you're thinking about opening uh, your, your private physio practice. You're working right. for somebody. I know you talked about uh, the smooth transition that you had because you actually talked with your employer about right. your desire when you and mega were talking what was the idea what was the dream the vision that you had for your own private practice so you know and again i'm just talking from my heart on this um the vision or the idea was like i wanted to have a practice so you know how if you're burned by different people like you know you have worked different places um you you like certain things and you don't like certain things um right so my idea of opening the practice was to uh, uh, to basically implement and set up everything uh, properly and in a correct way that I hated 
uh, were like you know always hated as a, as an employee um so whether it was like you know paying how to pay for my uh, staff members employees what kind of system to set up you know whether to practice just the modality based approach or to 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 depend more on the number of client visits versus uh, you know developing a reputation with them and all of that so any anything that i hated working as an employee um, so we fixed that and i the idea was to when we have a practice i want to have every single thing perfectly fit in there so when i hire a new therapist uh, or another therapist to work with us they don't have the same experience what what we had working at other places yeah. so that that was one of the visions and to kind of uh, you know work at a uh, like you know develop a practice where my my one vision was that you uh, you always heard of like you know having a uh you know a family doctor uh, a family dentist like nobody talks about having like a a family physical therapy practice right so my uh, one of these ideas was to kind of create an atmosphere and an environment where uh, your current patients or your past patients can refer you uh, their friends and family without any hesitation like develop that reputation with them give them the results that they need don't be just like for me there's only two kind of people out there right you know if you want to be a good physical therapist uh, so there is no good term you can either be great at something you do or you can be average at something you do right uh, and there is like a way lot of difference between the two things for me i wanted to be great uh, and want i want my practice to be uh, great and everybody who works there wanted to be great so now i'm i'm happy to say like after two and a half years of being in practice we have actually achieved that target where uh, you know during the pandemic we had to shut down our marketing to save on money and all of that uh, so since uh, june uh, till today we stopped all the expense on the marketing but despite of that we last year we gained we had 40% growth and that that talks about it right you know how your if your friends and family and your past patients are referring your clients without any marketing efforts um you you know that you have achieved something and you established a rapport with them in in, in the community so sounds like based on your previous employment experiences you had a very good vision about what you wanted to create right you went out and did that the pandemic happened and you were right. amazingly resilient to the point you had 40% year over year growth from 2020 to 2019 right. because everybody was willing to come back in and i think you and i talked about this but you have a waiting list right now Yeah, 3 weeks. Yep. So 3 week waiting list. You have 5 full-time physios. That's right. Yes. As of right now and you're in 1700 square feet. 1700, yes. Okay. And so everybody's schedule's full. You have a waiting list. You have the stream situation in the midst of the pandemic. Um I know you overcome a few other things as well. So uh you're in Canada, you're competing with a essentially a um free or very low cost That's right. healthcare system. um what's the average plan of care look like for you in canada so anywhere around like 400 to 500 dollars like if i be very specific like around it would be like 4 440 around so okay so you you don't have the benefit of the 1100 dollar average plan of care that Absolutely we have not. in the us so 440 to 500 um and the other thing that you're battling is the cost of real estate is significantly higher than it is here in the US and I think uh, you and I were talking about this but I think you're paying over $60 a square foot that's right okay and that's pretty much all of 
Edmonton it's pretty, any yeah, yeah pretty pretty standard uh, little words on the uh, on the northern alberta uh, or side like yeah words on the on the western side of the country okay so you have very high cost you have low reimbursement um, but you still have a waiting list and you're you're yes. doing fairly well and our our viewers our listeners don't know this but you actually flew from edmonton to harrisburg we're in the same office but so we didn't get noise feedback here about 20 feet away in another <laughs> office. Right um, and you're actually looking at expanding and uh, potentially tripling your, your square footage right now to fill that That's up right. as well. Great. So let's go back. Um, it's now 2017. You uh, and I know you've shared this story on stage. You've shared the story at uh, other events that we've done um, together and that you've been at. But uh, you talked about this idea that you wanted to. Um, get started, hit the ground running, uh, basically the rocket launch. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. so can you share that again? Um, yeah. So the the idea came, uh, you know, so the, the rocket launch concept came from um, the, you know, uh, the Mars orbital mission that India launched. And it was like, you know, uh, I don't know, like probably the whole uh, program costed them around $10 million uh, if you convert that in like Indian rupees and all of that. So the concept came, came from there and it was a pretty, pretty cool concept. So, excuse me. So most of the, uh, like, you know, ISRO and other um, aviation uh, or like, you know, people working in this field, when they launch a rocket or uh, when they launch um, any of these spacecrafts, what they do is, um, to you know, and they, I don't know how how never anybody never thought about that. But when a, a rocket enters into an orbit, it needs to enter the orbit. Um, uh, it needs a real like a real push and a, like a high combustion to throw it into the orbit, and then it can just like you know come into that orbital circle. And uh, I probably won't know the exact terminologies, but it just goes around in the circle by itself. But what all other uh, people were doing was they were keeping that combustion engine on for the whole time when the rocket was launched, it enters the orbit, the, the fluid fuel is still burning and throughout the lab. When India launched this uh, Mars orbital mission, they had a very small rocket because that was their first uh, uh, mission they were launching. So what they did was they had a really big challenge of how to save the cost and like you know how to like they only had a limited amount of fuel with that limited amount of fuel how to make sure like if they keep it like burning for the whole time the the rocket won't even reach half of the uh, like you know, distance so what they they came up with the idea that when the rocket would enter the they timed it so well that when the rocket would enter the orbit they would turn on the ignition and they'll give up a sudden push that the rocket needs. And then the rocket, and they would turn off the ignition and then the rocket would just keep flowing inside the orbit. And then again, when it comes into the circle at a particular point, they will again ignite it and it need, um, you know, start the combustion and it would just throw it again. So that way they kind of kept circling, 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 and a point came where they, they pushed it like a high combustion and it enters into the moon orbit. Um, so that the concept came from there, like, you know, keeping, um, I wanted to have like a real rocket start where I don't uh, have to wait for 36 months, as you said, to be profitable. And I was like looking for things I've been, um, before I started the practice for, I spent two years in, in um, reading different 
like I probably read 1100 so or so research articles. Uh, lots of lots of Harvard Business Review articles. You can get them online. Um, and like lots of other, uh, you know, articles uh, on marketing and other stuff. So yeah, so that's, that's from there the whole concept came from. Yeah. So <laughs> just to sum up, uh, it, it, you knew you weren't going to have a lot of fuel uh, to get started, but you were looking for some escape velocity and uh, wanted to get to the point where you were profitable and growing as quickly as possible and getting a return on your investment. That's right. To pay off the $65,000 in credit cards because somebody broke into your practice looking for yeah. drugs. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Um, so the, the one thing that really jumps out, um, and I remember where it, it definitely hit my radar that um, you were different as a, as, as a practice owner in terms of your ability to implement quickly is uh, I think we were on a call or perhaps we were at an event and I, um, I think I saw a picture of you doing a workshop. You had your Edmonton Oilers jersey on. Um, the, if I remember right, there were 80-some people in the room. You had a yes. huge conversion rate as well. And I asked you specifically, what did you do to promote the workshop? And you battled off maybe like 17 different things. And it was, you know, you were going to Facebook groups in your community and promoting there. And I asked you, where did you get that from? And you said, well, I, got, I just did exactly what Carl said to do. That's right. So can you talk about um, how you think about that, how you take informa information and then implement it successfully so quickly and what happens you know, when it, it's not successful? How do you think through that? Because you're, you're growing. Right. So again, I, I don't know where it came from, but I, I really, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a good implementer or, you know, how you say there can be in a business, there are two kinds of people. One is a visionary and other is an integrator. Yeah. Um, so I feel like I'm a good integrator and I, 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 uh, I, I, you know, I've, <laughs> I'll share a little thought with you again, like, you know, like you, I read a lot of books and all. Um, and one of my favorite leadership uh, guy is John Maxwell. He runs the Maxwell Learning Institute, Leading Leadership Institute. So he, uh, I, was, I was listening to one of his podcasts um, and uh, he, he once said, I think it's there in one of his books too. So he once said there are three types of business owners out there or three types of leaders or three types of people. One, who make things happen. Uh, second, who see things happen, who look, look at the things happening. Third is they just wonder like what the hell happened. So <laughs> I just wanted to be the first one who would like take the initiative myself and make things happen. I don't want to wait and like, you know, just, just like, you know, let the things happen by themselves and they may go in my favor. They may not go in my favor. And, um, and I certainly I didn't want to be the one who would just keep wondering like, Hey, you know, how the things are happening by themselves. So that, that, that was the idea again, like, you know, a lot of that goes to my preparation that I did before opening the practice. Um, so yeah, no, every time I learn something, um, like, you know, I've, uh, whatever I've learned in the last couple of days here in Harrisburg with you guys, spending time with you, Joe, Mitch, um, suddenly have like a list of things that I need to go and implement now. Uh, whatever I've learned from you. And again, like for me, um, when Carl says something, it's, I think it's, it just comes, right? When you are, uh, in, like, what do you call it? Like necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah, yeah. Right? So um, when you know that you don't have any other options, like you just have to, so with you, either you, uh, you know, you don't do anything and you just go broke, uh, 
or you take the things in your hand and you just go and implement it. And I don't think it's, it's hard to implement those things for me. Once I have a, a clear platform and when, when you know that I have uh, like certain systems in place, I just need to put those pegs in place. Like, you know, I learn something, what Carl says, what you guys say is, and I'll come and just talk to my team. Hey, you know, this is what uh, I've learned. And I think if we implement this in our, in our system, uh, we, we can be in a really good position. And uh, yeah, so you, I always just implemented that. That's great. So you have five full-time physios today. Um, how many other uh, support staff do you have? So five full-time PTs. I have uh, three uh, front staff. Um, and that's about it. Okay. And are you do the marketing yourself or you have somebody uh, helping you out there? I do it all myself. Okay. Um, well, you did pretty well there. Um, you yes. talked about killer marketing and learning how to go direct to the consumer. You're also part of GrowthX. The question that I asked you, um, that I messaged you, was uh, how would you describe that if you were describing it to one of your parents? Um, yes. I, I think you have a pretty good answer in terms of how you feel. <laughs> Can you share on that a little bit? Sure. Um, so there's, and again, I don't know where I heard it from or where it came to my mind, but I feel as a, as, as, um, as a physical therapist, as a healthcare practitioner, as a clinician, like, you know, we, nobody taught us the business. They, they always teach us how to be a good clinician at the, in the schools. And um, for me, if I'm going into business, if I'm opening a clinic or a practice, most, and this is one of the biggest mistakes that I feel a lot of clinic owners, they do. When they open a clinic, they, they basically decide, and you, you, you must have seen people talking about it all the time, that, hey, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm planning to open my own practice. And for me, there's a difference between running a practice and running a business. Right. Running a practice to me means, uh, you know, being your own employee. Like I was like, you know, you're basically working 40, 60, 80 hours a week, paying yourself a salary, um, you know, don't really have much time to work on the business. So, and again, the business is just like, you know, somehow working, right. You know, and you're just busy making uh, money uh, because people come with your name and all of that but like you know tomorrow if I'm not there in the business what's going to happen to my business right so most of us we make that mistake that we run it as a practice not as a as a business and what I feel is what breakthrough helped us is they taught us how to run it as a business you know and there are um, you know if I were to go and uh, explain my parents that's exactly how I would explain them that hey you know uh, tell them the difference about running a practice and a running a business and uh, you know, so, and there are some different, like some characteristics of a good business, right? Um, one of them is like the management or the leadership. Um, so like, you know, when somebody asked me uh, about breakthrough, I wouldn't call you guys like a marketing company, right? I don't know what you guys think about yourself as <laughs> either it's a marketing company or not. For me, it's a... Um, it's a company that, that teaches us everything uh, or that teaches us how to run a business, right? So basically there are different characteristics of a business. First one is like, you know, as a, as a management person or as a key leadership in their role, uh, I should have set goals for my business, right? So you guys have taught us how uh, to set those goals, whether it's your big year, your audacious goal, five-year highly achievable goal, um, you know, one-year highly achievable goal or quarterly uh, achievable goals, uh, how to achieve that, that, uh, that BHAG. 
Um, another thing is, uh, you know, personnel, like, you know, how to have right people on the, on the right seats uh, in, in the business. Like, you know, uh, that's not part of marketing. That's, that's basically uh, a, a key characteristics of running a business. Um, so I've learned a lot from you guys on that. Uh, another aspect is um, how to have systems and processes in place. Like, you know, if you don't have systems and processes in, pl in place and you don't have the right personnel uh, person on, in, in place and you don't have any vision or any goals to achieve, there is no point of spending money in marketing. And that's like then marketing part comes for me. Like, you know, after we have everything set up like that, then like, you know, like, you know, marketing plan comes in uh, and uh, I've, I've, that's what I've, I've learned from you guys. So there are these few characteristics. So if I were to go and explain my parents, I would literally explain them that way, that this is what I've learned from, from you guys. And this is what you guys do. Sounds like in the beginning, you were talking about this self-employed leap over to business owner in terms of working in the business all the time as a clinician. And that's right. uh, what, what you meant by practice there. The other thing that you seem to say was uh, focus on business growth, not just marketing. Not just marketing. That if the foundation of the team and the systems are in place, the marketing doesn't really matter because it just it's becomes wasted money. Absolutely. Great. Um, so definitely appreciate that. The, uh, the other thing that I wanted to ask you about is I think that you have and feel free to share as much of this as you want to you <laughs> have to, uh, share everything. But um, you, you have a tremendous work ethic. Um, you're also a father. You. I know you, you came from um, not the easiest situation, right, in the world. So can you talk about where you got your work ethic from, where you got your drive, um, any experiences that you overcame growing up that really shape who you are as a practice owner today? Sure. Um, so growing up, so my, my dad, uh, he was uh, and uh, like an Indian Air Force. Uh, he's a military guy, so Indian Air Force officer. Um, my mom is a teacher. Um, and um, so my dad, uh, so my ancestral, like my grandfather and my dad, they all came from um, a small village on the northern part of India. Um, and you know back in the days like they didn't have the best of the facilities in there so my, i remember my dad used to always talk about it and like and he like and he used to take us to the village and show us like you know how far he has to walk just to get into the school so like around 15 kilometers 20 kilometers every single day um, like going to the school in the morning and then coming back to the back from the school they they were not allowed to just go straight home uh, because they like uh, my granddad had a big family so like eleven brothers and sisters uh, my parent uh, my dad so he was supposed to like after leaving the school walk fifteen kilometers go to uh, you know the farm like you know get some stuff done there and then go to the home and like, you know, spend time with the family and eat food or whatnot. Um, and like, you know, I'm talking about the times when the electricity was probably used to come three times in a week. Uh, so you only, so they, there was like a quota system for the electricity distribution. And, uh, and it's like late fifties and early sixties I'm talking about. Um, so yeah, so they've really seen some hardship. And um, so, and again, like being in a in a military family, so you learn a lot of discipline, right? So uh, that's one thing. And we, my dad was posted on, on the northeast side of the country, 
um, closer to uh, Bangladesh and China and all of that. So I grew up in, in that area. So uh, all my schooling is all from there, nothing from nor northern part of India. So, but my dad used to make sure that um, every year when we during our summer breaks, uh, he used to take time off from, from work and he used to bring us to meet our uh, grandparents and bring us to the village to see that what their real life looks like. Because, you know, living in a, in a military family, like, you know, you, in your, if you're an Air Force officer, you, you have people helping you out, you have people working for you and all of that, but you don't see the real life, right? So he used to make sure that we, and my, my maternal grandparents, they were in military too. So my maternal grandfather, he was also an Air Force officer. So, um, so kind of pretty similar concept there. So he used to make sure that we experience everything that, uh, that a normal average person would experience. So we still had the farms and all like, you know, my uncle, they were, they used to work in the farm and they, we, I know we, we had, uh, uh, so in, in, in Hindi, the guy who helps, uh, like, you know, a helper in the farms, like help the family out to, to do the chores done. It's called Holly. Like a and, farm. Uh, yeah. Farming, yeah, helper in, in the farming area. So my dad used to, um, leave us with him I was like hey you know why don't you go and help him out and I honestly I don't remember his name anymore but um so he's like hey why don't you go help him out and learn some stuff so he literally used to make us uh, pick the cow dung <laughs> <laughs> with our hands so he had this different like you know the shovels and scoops and stuff that he, he used to use but uh so back in the days you guys must have seen those things where to um to like you know to burn the fire uh, or to let the fire you need to have like cow dung cakes to put in there right so so he taught us how to make cow dung cakes with our hands <laughs> God. so we, we did that all so uh, yeah jumping on the cows and like go into the pond jump over the cows and all of that so we we literally experienced that true life um, and what a, an average uh, or like a below average human being would and that i feel like uh, established uh, a sense of uh, uh, you know it just it just keeps you grounded i feel yeah. like you know you you never feel high head that you have achieved so much <laughs> yeah. it, it, it sounds like you're uh it, it you said grounded or down to earth yeah um it, it's a humbling right totally. a action and uh yeah it's great so and i shared a couple stories with you here um you have a friend down in lancaster when he was, and he lives in uh, Amish country, Dan Neff. Yeah. And uh, it, when his children were growing up to teach them humility, he had them work. I, I think it was for one or two weeks a summer on a tobacco farm, uh, yeah. on a, a tobacco Amish farm. And he said that was a very good life changing <laughs> experience for them. And even on our farm with uh, the donkeys and horse and alpacas, and I was sharing this with you earlier, yeah. um, we'll have our children muck the stalls um just so they realize a, a little bit about um, a little bit yeah yeah, yeah. yeah in, in terms of work ethic and integrity and humility as well so uh, and it's it's important for like you know if you want to be a good human being um, because you know it's easy to make money but it's difficult i guess to learn these values and all um, and you know chad you'll surprised to hear that you know like growing up again in the military family so they're like very so you know military people they're like very hardcore and very very disciplined so everything has to be in a perfect order you won't believe um, growing up we 
every morning when you wake up, uh, we had some duties assigned. So I had to iron my own like school dress, like wake up in the morning, take shower and everything. And you can't leave the house without ironing your own shirt and your pants. You ha- and you, you can't wear like a, a crushed shirt. Like it has to be well ironed. If you see a double crease on that, you have to go back and do it again. So that's one. You, we always had to polish our shoes. I don't know if you ever noticed that, uh, even in here in Harrisburg when I, uh, I'm here. So those things are so well imbibed in me now that every single morning, no matter what it is, like and I'm like you know uh, so far out now um, from the family, but still every single morning I iron, iron my own clothes. Uh, I'll polish my own shoes before I leave the house, and it's then every single day. I, I can relate. Uh, my father was in the Marines. Um, in the morning, if we would not get out of bed, my mom gave us one shot to get out of bed. If we would not get up, um, he would play Revelry, which is a, a military song um, yeah, yeah. played on a bugle or a trumpet um, to get us out of bed. And uh, the other, and I can relate to the um, shining my own shoes as well, uh, which I always carry a kit with me. Yeah. Um, to all of our events, every Sunday night, my my father would sit down at like maybe eight thirty nine o'clock, and uh, he had two or three pairs of shoes that he would wear for the week, and he would. Um, he, I, I was considered. <laughs> um, well, he he taught us how to do it, but he would do and and he still does it. I mean that it, it's yeah. ingrained, and he still gets up at four thirty every morning and goes for a run, and um, just very disciplined and. I mean, he, he's in his late sixties now. And, um, so I can definitely, uh, relate to that and appreciate that, that, uh, really admire your, your, your work ethic and also how you're, um, a, an amazing student and, and implementing, um, the, and you're, you're welcome. Um, in terms of, uh, any pitfalls that you hit on as an owner in the last two and a half or three years, um, that are are coming to mind for you in terms of a challenge and, and overcoming that. Yes, and again, like you know, uh, no matter how well you do things, um, you can learn everything, right? And it's just um, certain thing that comes with time. Uh, one thing that, uh, and I think me and you talked about it a little bit on day one. That um, that one thing that happened is with the business growing and all that. I think there was how to have a good uh, balance between your business finances versus uh, the personal finances is, is one area that I feel that I still need to learn um, a few things to how to kind of have a good balance between the two. Like, you know, most of uh, us as business owners, we, and like new business owners, I don't know the seasoned ones, but the new business owners, we, we, we treat our business checking account as our personal checking account, right? <laughs> and we had that detailed conversation about it. So um, that's one area I think um, uh, we, one, one area I think we, we need to work hard on. Like, you know, not just like whenever you need money, just go and take the money out, like 25,000 check, just <laughs> yeah. transfer it to the personal account and just use it. So that's, I think, uh, that's, that's a bad habit. And um, I think that needs to change. Great. Um, yeah, so just to give everybody a, like an insider viewpoint, um, and if you're watching this, there was a whiteboard behind me with literally the notes from the session that I did with Deepak. 
Um, but um, yeah, so thinking through like an income expense statement on the personal level, um, you should be able to do that with a, an income statement and then also a balance sheet, which shows your assets and liabilities for you and your family, spouse, um, et cetera. Then you, for every business that you have, you should be running the same thing. And what I shared with Deepak is the key is that, that I found over time and through years of doing this, just to minimize the, uh, the emotion and drama um, that can happen, especially when a business is doing really well or when a business is doing poorly in, in terms of performance, um, to minimize the, the drama at home, the key is to put it on a, a machine. So the, the one thing that I shared with Deepak, which came from uh, The Richest Man in Babylon, which I believe by George S. Clayton, um, pretty famous book, and um, many financial financial advisors have written about the same concept, but we take 10% of all of our weekly income and then put it into a savings account so that the tempt isn't there to write it. It looks like we're constantly more broke than the actual money that we have because we're flowing this money over into a reserve account. And that allows us to expand, to uh, expand existing clinics, um, to open up uh, more clinics in the future or buy equipment, um, whatever we need to do there to expand our ability to serve and impact the, our area, um, that reserve ca can drive that for us. And it keeps us stable also during the pandemic. Uh, so that was one, just to give you a quick uh, inside tip uh, for everybody that's listening. That was something that Deepak and I had uh, covered. Um, the, so right now, um, you have a pretty profitable uh, business that I, from what I see, you're about a uh, your margins 25, 30%. Is that about That's right? That's right, sir. That's right. Yeah. Great. So you're running super efficient. Um, you're in a low reimbursement market. You're in a high cost market. You've overcome quite a bit. Um, what, what, what's the future hold for you in the next 12, 24, 36 months? Wow. Um, so now we are like, we max out the place in like two years time, right? So for the last six months, we've been like, um, you know, there's no further growth for us in that same location we are in right now. And the idea is to uh, like, so you got like basically a couple of options from here. Either we go and look for another practice to like, you know, to, to take over uh, or you go and open a new practice um, and, or you find a space which is closer to your current space. Um, so you don't lose a goodwill and move to a bigger location. Mm -hmm. So those are the three options and, uh, you know, we definitely want to expand further. Um, uh, but again, like if you would have asked me this question two years ago, Chad, um, uh, and you probably would remember the answer that, you know, like, okay, I want to have these many clinics in this much time. But I feel like, you know, that's, that's not uh, a right way to, to do it. And over the years, I think that that's, that the, that's the maturity that I've, I've gained as a business owner that uh, like having the systems and processes in place, right people in place, having your goals, right? It's, uh, it's, it's really, really important. So you can have like, you know, 100 practices, but those, those 100 practices are not, uh, you know, they're like barely like, uh, you know, meeting the ends and, uh, you know, you just have uh, 
you are just at break even point on those practices and out of those like you know 10 practices you are may barely making hundred thousand dollar profit collectively that's not a good way to run business mm-hmm. instead i have i can have like one practice where i can like you know make good profit and have like you know take the same system from that place and implement it at the next next place so that's what we will be looking for but that's in the next few months i think the idea is to expand for sure um, whether it's going to a different location uh, in a bigger space or acquiring a practice uh, or opening a new practice um, just need to get some clarity on that seems like doing things the right way is very important is the key. To absolutely because you know the, what they say is and uh, that you know your, your yesterday doesn't really guarantee your today or tomorrow so what we did yesterday doesn't really uh, give us like you know it maybe shows you a good picture for today and tomorrow but doesn't it cannot guarantee your today and tomorrow so you still have to take the same system and use it the way you use it in the previous years today and then again tomorrow yeah uh, two more questions for you moving Thanks. forward let's say you go and you expand the space to the 5,000 square feet or so, um, or you open another location. What is your confidence level at in terms of um, doing things the right way, getting the right team, planning for that space, doing the financial projections and filling that space up with sound marketing? What can you speak to that? So the confidence confidence level is definitely uh, high um, because at least I have that confidence that I won't go under. Um, um, because, uh, you know, I, and that's, again, that's one thing, Chad, that when you're making a decision, like, you know, it's, it's totally up to us whether we give ourselves a chance to fail, right? For me, if I don't give my, for me, failing is not an option, right? I just don't keep it as an option. Uh, I, for me, I only have uh, one option and that one option is to grow right uh, to do things right and just to i just want to to grow and i just have to figure out how to grow how to like you know take proper steps and necessary steps i need to grow um, so yeah so that's uh, I'm, I'm pretty confident that even if we move to this new location i'm still a little um, uh, i think we me and you talked about that a little bit that i'm still a little hesitant on in terms of the the rent part and all of that um, and the increasing liabilities and stuff but apart from that, if somebody asked me on the business perspective, like how confident you are as a business owner moving to a bigger location and maximize that location, I'm pretty confident about that. Excellent. Um, success. Uh, final question for you. What, uh, what was the last thing you read? Uh, beyond Entrepreneur. <laughs> Entrepreneurship 2.0. <laughs> the, the book that I just gave you? The book that you gave me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I was reading it last night. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, how about before that? Uh, honestly, in the last uh, two, three months, I haven't really, uh, like, you know, uh, reading much just because I told you, right? We've been like so, so, so crazy busy at the clinic. I haven't really got time, but I've been listening to some of the podcasts. Uh, one of the podcasts that you shared with me about the burnout. So I don't remember the name of the guy, but that guy has really good podcasts. Masters of Scale, Reed Hoffman. Yes, I guess. Yeah. 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 So he talked about like burnouts in the in the medical industry and all of that. So this yeah. guy has some really cool podcasts. So I've been listening to him quite a bit lately. I haven't been reading much though. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. I, I think it's. I, I think we're talking about Masters of Scale. It's by Reed Hoffman that owns uh, LinkedIn. It's a green 
cover? I can I can tell you exactly what it is. Uh, okay, but, great. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So, uh, anything else that you want to share with uh, an owner that's listening? Maybe they're struggling um, in terms of uh, words of wisdom, encouragement, anything that they should be focusing on um, as we come out of the pandemic and get to a new normal here. Just, uh, wow. <laughs> just, just be, so sorry, if, if you're at an event and you're talking with an, an owner who, um, you know, we, we all hit points in the, the entrepreneurial ship roller coaster, right? Where we, we can be at a low point. So if you're talking with an owner at an event, um, what's something that you would typically say? Yeah, I would say like, Hey man, don't, uh, don't just wait for things to happen. You know, as an owner, it's your responsibility. Uh, like just try and make things happen by yourself. Like, you know, take the initiative and, and try and uh, implement. You can, you learn so many things every day and everything teaches you something like even a, a little kid uh, walking around teaches you something. My, like I know from my son, I, I learned like a lot of humility from him, like, you know, the innocence and all of that. So every single thing teaches you something, how you take that thing and then goes and implement in your business is up to you. Like, you know, it, you can spend hundreds and thousands of dollars, uh, uh, you know, learning stuff, but if you're not implementing it, it's, it's of no use, right? You know, um, so I feel like, you know, whatever you learn every day, try and think that in a way that, hey, you know, yesterday I learned this, like whether you listen to a podcast. So try and implement a little bit of that every day. Um, and uh, things would be much easier in life, I think, uh, if you start to learn how to implement right stuff. Very good. Yeah. Deepak Sharma, Primus Physiotherapy. Edmonton, Canada, thank you very much for, for being here. Always a pleasure. Thank you.